You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Nice soft tones to begin our morning here. And it is a good morning. It's actually a beautiful morning, at least where I am here in the uh, New York City area. Hope everyone's doing well, getting their uh, weekend off and running. I'll be here until noon. Got a uh, full slate of local content for you today here on 98.7 ESPN New York. And we get it started right now. Um... And we got the second half of the Major League Baseball season started last night, didn't we? We are off and running. Finally, the All-Star break comes to an end. This is, you know, not that I'm, you know, looking for any sympathy here, but in many ways it's the toughest time of year to host uh, shows like this because historically the uh, week of the Major League Baseball All-Star break is the slowest sports week of the season. The NBA, you know, free agent uh, uh, frenzy and draft, that whole season is is kind of behind us by the all-star break you know football has just about a week and a half to go before that starts ramping up baseball takes a break for for a week so we spent a lot of time last week and I spent a lot of time last week talking about like what has to what has to go differently for the Yankees and the Mets you know both teams entered the all-star break uh, disappointing but both teams entered the All-Star break still with a chance. Yankees with a better chance than the Mets because of their record, because of their positioning in the standings in the American League wildcard race. But both teams did begin, you know, and I, as I said the other night, I don't call it the, the second half of the season. I call it the stretch run of the Major League Baseball season because there were 70, 71, 72 games remaining for each team for the remainder of the regular season. So both teams entered the stretch run last night with a chance, but without a lot of margin for error. And pretty much in the case of the Mets, I think everything has to go right. And in the case of the Yankees, the vast majority of things have to go right. And boy, what an absolute abomination, a letdown, a disappointment for both teams as the season resumed last night. I mean, unbelievable. I spent an entire week here on this station talking about the changes that had to be made and who needs to do what and what needs to happen for these teams to have a chance. These teams with all these expectations. These teams both coming off playoff seasons last year. These teams with the vast resources and the ability to improve their rosters by the trade deadline on August 1st. But the one caveat to all of that was, all right, starting last night, it's go time, and you got to start playing well. And it's amazing. They both had almost the exact same night. Now, the Mets against a very difficult opponent in the Dodgers that is just starting to hit its stride. But Julio Urias, who I've always loved as a pitcher, he was... Probably the biggest reason outside of Corey Seager why they were able to close out that 2020 World Series championship, their only championship during this incredible run of uh, dominance in the NL West. But Julio Urias, long one of the best young pitchers in the National League, not having a great season. Well, that changed last night. He steps on the mound at City Field. You probably didn't see it because it was on Apple TV+. Plus. That was the only good thing about last night. He steps on the mound, gives up a leadoff double to Brandon Nimmo, and that was it. Seriously, that was it the rest of the game. Nimmo hits a leadoff double, and that was the Mets' only hit of the night. They essentially got no hit. If you take out the leadoff double, there were no outs at the time. So from that point forward, the Dodgers pitchers, starting with Urias and then three guys out of the bullpen, recorded 27 outs and did not allow a single hit. 
So now all of a sudden, where do the Mets stand? Well, they're back to seven games below 500. Their low watermark was 10 games below, and that preceded their six-game winning streak. That gave everybody this renewed optimism. Well, they've given three of those games back, and they have two more games this weekend against the Dodgers. And Buck Showalter stacked his rotation. And I've always wondered why more managers don't do this. I've always wondered why the ace of the pitching staff, if you look throughout baseball history in recent years, and it probably goes to the stupid load management and all that crap that fans have to deal with in sports like Major League Baseball and the NBA in particular. Those are the two biggest culprits in the load management nonsense. But I'd always wondered why the ace pitcher, the ace of the staff, does not pitch the first game after the All-Star break. Now, if he pitched, if he pitched in the All-Star game, I understand it because you need maybe an extra day of rest, an extra two days of rest, whatever. But it shocks me throughout history how many times the ace of the staff doesn't pitch the first game out of the break. Why wouldn't you want him to pitch that game? It just maximizes the amount of starts that he can make for you for the rest of the season. Anyway, Buck Showalter didn't do that. Buck Showalter is coming out of the break with his top three guys. Verlander last night, Sanga tonight, and then tomorrow in the series finale, Max Scherzer. And for Verlander, who has been really good since the beginning of June, first month injured, the month of May, it was one good start, one bad start. And from June 1st on, so that's about a six-week stretch coming into last night, Verlander was really good. Not dominant like he was last year when he won the Cy Young Award at the age of 39, but really good, like a 2.65 ERA good. Like the kind of production for Verlander over the last six weeks that if he gives you that the rest of the season, you are thrilled. And he didn't have it last night. And it's becoming increasingly clear, you know, he didn't get shelled. He doesn't get shelled. He's, a, he's tough. Verlander is a tough dude. He always has been. But you need more than just, and I hate to always refer to the salaries of these guys, but it's part of the story because more should be expected of these guys. But for Verlander, getting paid $43 million, you need more than a grinded out five-inning, three-earned run performance. You'd be happy if you got that from David Peterson. You'd be happy if you got that from Clark Schmidt, Domingo Herman. Tyler McGill, you can't get that from Justin Verlander. Verlander, you need six or seven innings. You need one or two runs allowed. Simp simply put. And Verlander at this stage, unfortunately, it seems like he's unable to put batters away anymore. His pitch count is astronomical almost every time he goes out there. And he's not able to, as a result, give the Mets any length. And last night was another example of that. Five innings, only two hits, but he walked six. Didn't have his command. Way too many pitches. 104 pitches over five innings, and they have to pull him. He gave them a chance to win, sure, but you can't, you can't leave after five innings and hand the ball to the weakest part of this Mets roster, which is its bullpen, and expect them to go four innings and keep you in the game. Now, last night, at least David Peterson... And the first couple of guys out of the pen did that, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter because they got one hit. The Dodgers faced four Mets batters over the minimum. Over the minimum. They didn't generate but one walk. 
One base hit. One base hit, and it came off the bat of the leadoff hitter. After a week off, after a week to reflect, after a week to recharge, knowing exactly what they have to do the rest of the way, they come out and lay a complete egg in their first game out of the break. Are we overreacting to one game? It's not an overreaction anymore for either of these teams, the Mets or the Yankees, because we're so late in the season. It's not an overreaction. I have said over and over again for about three weeks, now the Mets have eliminated their margin for error. And last night was a comedy of errors, at least at the plate. Now to the Yankees, who wake up this morning. This stat kind of blew my mind a little bit. The Yankees lost last night, and the Red Sox won. The Red Sox did what the Yankees couldn't do before the break, and that's beat the Chicago Cubs, a team that's not very good. Red Sox, by the way, have won six games in a row. Orioles have won six games in a row. Blue Jays are getting hot. The Rays are the Rays. And the Yankees, they are tied with the Red Sox for last place in the American League East. Now, it's a tough division. They're both 49 and 43. They're both two games behind the Blue Jays for the final wild card spot in the American League. But the Yankees are tied for last place. And that's significant because this is the latest in the season that the Yankees have been in last place since 1992. Harvey Cruz, were you alive in 1992? Joe Leo, were you alive in 1992? I was not. (laughs) Was Harvey? Can you answer? No, he wasn't. He, I believe, is a year younger than me, so he's not not alive. so, so So if I run the numbers, he wouldn't have been alive either? No. Well, there you go. Do you know who was managing the Yankees in 1992? Is that Buck Showalter? Is that it was his Buck first Showalter. year? It was Buck's first year, and he did a great job. He was the manager. He was actually the manager of the year that year. Uh, Yankees started playing really well by the end of the year. Um, that was his first year ever as a manager, and that was really the kind of the turn. That that was the tipping point for the Yankees franchise. But that's my point. You know, there are people, and, and Joe, you're a Yankees fan, right? Yes, I am. I understand the Yankees are disappointing and. Um, especially in the last like four or five years with their playoff disappointments, but there's different levels of disappointment. You you know nothing in your entire life except for the Yankees being either a playoff team or just missing the playoffs. Correct? Yeah, and I mean, 2008 is a year that you you know goes off the top of my head as a bad year. No, there's been disappointments. 16, but it's few and far between, and yeah. it's not it's nothing like what. Cincinnati or Oakland or even Houston before th- this big run, can like that seems incomprehensible to right. a large majority of this fan base that has grown up even since '95, where well, let me t- it's just let been me, the 16 run. Let me give you an example of what also is like that. That was my experience growing up as a Yankees fan because I was born in 1979. Yankees went to the World Series in 1981. I obviously don't remember that. And the Yankees, in my lifetime that I saw, never got to the playoffs until 1995. So I actually experienced that. But fans like you who were born a generation later have never experienced anything like that. So 1992, for people around my age and older, 
that year holds a lot of significance because that was kind of the turning point for the franchise. Gene Michael was running the organization. Buck Showalter was in his 30s, and he helped turn the franchise around. 1993, they challenged up until September a powerhouse Blue Jays team for the American League East title. 1994, they had the best record in the American League when the season was canceled before the strike. And then in 1995, they finally got back into the playoffs as the wild card. But 1992 was the turning point, and that is a long winded way of me saying that that has been a very, very long time since the Yankees were in this position in last place this late in the season. 1992 for Yankee fans of a certain age brings back memories that they don't want to remember of Stump Merrill and Bucky Dent as the Yankees manager in Dallas Green and some really tough and rough years when the Yankees were literally, literally the worst team in baseball. So that was the last time they were in this position. It's not exactly the same thing because they are six games over 500. There are now, look, back then there were also in the American League, two teams made the playoffs, the winner of the AL East and the winner of the AL West. Okay, now you have six teams that make the playoffs. So the Yankees are a lot closer to making the playoffs as well. They're still two games out. But last night for the Yankees was almost like a carbon copy of the Mets night. It was a little bit better because at least they scored and at least they put some runs on the board. I guess scored and putting runs on the board is the exact same thing. I just felt the need to emphasize it by saying it twice differently. But John Carlos Stanton, the second batter of the game, and we've seen this, I swear we've seen this like a half a dozen times this year, where the Yankees get a leadoff hit or a leadoff home run, and then the second guy hits a home run, and they're off and running. Last night, a 2-0 lead in Colorado, and that was it. That was it for the rest of the game. So think about it. The Yankees and the Mets, collectively, last night, every game holding so much importance for the rest of their seasons, combined, after three batters into their games, they were done. They were finished producing. The Yankees were shut out over the final 27 outs of the game. The Mets were not only shut out, but also no hit over the final 27 outs of the game. It's almost incomprehensible the laughably bad start of the second half of the stretch run that both of these teams got off to last night. And the Colorado Rockies stink. They stink. You know, I'll give the Mets a little bit of a pass. They're playing a first-place team. That is just hitting its stride. The Dodgers won four games heading into the All-Star break, and they picked up right where they left off. And last night, they moved ahead of the Diamondbacks into first place in the National League West, where we all expect them to be. The Colorado Rockies stink. They're actually historically bad. Nobody's paying attention to them because the Oakland A's are more historically bad, and so are the Kansas City Royals. And I go back about a week and a half ago, Last, not even a week and a half ago, a week ago, last Friday night, when the Yankees were beginning their final series before the All-Star break against the Chicago Cubs, a team that right now after losing to Boston last night is 42-48. and 48. So you had three against the Cubs and then the break. And then these three against the Rockies, who are 35-57. and 57. And then three in Los Angeles or Anaheim against the Angels, who are without Mike Trout and without Anthony Rendon, and have lost nine of their last ten games. And then three at home against the Kansas City Royals, who are 26-65. and 65. 
this was such a crucial stretch for the Yankees to fatten up their winning percentage. And we are now four games into this stretch. And I said at a minimum they had to go eight and four. At a minimum, they should probably go nine and three, even without Aaron Judge, if they're serious about contending in the American League this year. And four games into the stretch, they are one and three. They are throwing away games that they're not going to get back against bad baseball teams. Cubs, not a great baseball team. The Rockies are a bad baseball team. You need to go to Colorado and you need to sweep this team. Like many, if not most, teams have already done this season. The Rockies threw a guy last night with a six and a half ERA, Austin Gomber. And the Yankees had a chance to jump all over them. Two batters into the game, you got exactly what you want. We've been talking about it for weeks. If the Yankees' offense is going to get back on track without Judge, the first guy who has to carry the load is Stanton. And he got off to a terrific start. Another bomb, 445 feet. Gives Sean Casey, the hitting coach, a raise. Here we go. And that was it. What an absolute letdown. And it really is emblematic of the season they're having so far. So it couldn't be a worse start for the two local baseball teams as the stretch run of this MLB season gets underway last night. And like I said, from the Mets fans' perspective, the only saving grace is you probably didn't see the game because Major League Baseball felt the need to screw you and put this marquee matchup, Verlander and Urias, Mets and Dodgers, put it on Apple TV+. Plus. So you were probably spared having to watch the Mets get no hit over the final 27 outs of last night's game. Now, there's one silver lining for the Yankees from last night's game that I'll get to. It's not Carlos Rodon either. I haven't even touched on him. So we'll get to that. 1-800-919-3776. You want to weigh in on either team. I'm sure there are plenty of frustrated fans out and about this morning. And I'm here till noon. So we'll talk about all of it here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Not a lot to talk about, but yet a lot to talk about at the same time. After it's uh, more of the same for both the Yankees and the Mets to begin the second half of the season last uh, night. Um, Austin Gomber lowered his ERA against the Yankees from 6.40 to 6.19. And today, the Yankees go up against the immortal Connor Siebold, who in 12 starts, 19 games pitched this year, is 1-6. and six with a 6.65 earned run average. And his career stats, let me take a look at those. Connor Siebold, this is his third season, two with the Red Sox, and this is his first full Major League Baseball season. He is all-time 1-10 with a 7.56 ERA. So we'll see if that helps the – I mean, look, if you're facing guys whose ERAs are in the mid to high sixes, I don't care if Aaron Judge isn't there. That's not an excuse when you're facing a guy who's barely a major league pitcher. All right, 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to Marvin in the Bronx. Marvin, how you doing? Good morning, my man. Good morning. Listen, uh, I've been a Yankee fan next year. It'll be 60 years. Yeah, I was around in 92, but I was also around in 66 
when they finish last. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I lived through the Depression, what they call from um, 65 to 76. Yep. So I don't get all flustered. And I, I think there's still hope in this season, all right? Um, I, and I, it's not that I resent the 94. I call them the 94 crowd because they, they never knew losing. But I've suffered a lot with the Yankees. And, um, and my loyalty has been, like I said, six decades. But I also think that um, I look at some of the players, and they seem out of it. I'm a big Torres fan. But sometimes I look at him, I say, this head is just not in this game. And I have to always be hopeful because I know I'm stretching it. I also remember the 76 season when people had written the Yankees off. And we know what happened that year. I don't think the same thing will happen. But like I said, there's always got to be hope for me because my my longevity with this team and I have a great belief in um, Brian Cashman. You know, a lot of people don't, but I think he's a great general manager, and I think he's done an excellent job over the years. Yes, we haven't won in a long time, but there have been stretches in Yankee history where they haven't won in a long time. But uh, the, the, like you said, there's no excuse for Judge not being there and these guys not performing. Right. You know? Not against a team yeah. like this. It's not like the Yankees yeah. had to come out of the break and face the Dodgers like the Mets did last night. Right, yeah. But – like I said, it's a long season, and you, and uh, you, your diatribe was was excellent as as it was delivered, and is rightfully so at this moment. But hopefully, this season will change. And I want to wish you guys in the studio a great weekend. You too, Marvin. Take thanks, care. thanks for the call, man. Yeah, it's it is a long season, but it's getting shorter. After last night, they got seventy games left. You know, one hundred and sixty-two. That's a long season. But they're running out of time, and they're they're just wasting. That's the frustrating thing. There has to be more of a sense of urgency when you play these types of teams because they are wasting these opportunities. And I go to the schedule a lot, but I think it's important to note that after this stretch that started with the Cubs and now the Rockies and the Angels and the Royals, then you get the Mets, then you go to Baltimore, then you get the Rays, and then you get Houston. That's a tough stretch. Six. That's that's a twelve game stretch. You'd be lucky to go. You'd be happy to go six and six in that twelve game stretch. Against the Mets at Baltimore, against Tampa Bay, and then a four game series against Houston. You'd be happy to go six and six. So if you're gonna go six and six there, and you do this in chunks of the schedule, if you're gonna go six and six there, then you gotta go eight and four here. And now over a larger sample size, now you're talking about like 14 and 10. And to be honest, that might not even be a good enough pace for this Yankees team. Now, one good sign that came out of last night's game, and and we'll talk about Judge and taking batting practice. That's obviously a good sign that he seemed to surprise a lot of people by taking batting practice before last night's game in Colorado. If the Yankees are going to turn this thing around, it's going to be the guys with the established track records. You know, this, this season's not going to be turned around by Billy McKinney or Isaiah Kiner-Falefa or Franchi Cordero or even Anthony Volpe. All right, it has to be Stanton, first and foremost. It has to be Torres. It has to be Rizzo. And it has to be LeMahieu. And those are the only guys who got hits last night. 
Torres got three hits last night and went three for four. Single to lead off the game and then scored on Stanton's two-run home run. Stanton got two hits. He now has 10 home runs for the season. About two games ago, his batting average was under 200. Now it's up to 211. So he seems to be going in the right direction. And Stanton can get insanely hot. Rizzo and LeMahieu. Now Rizzo got a hit last night. LeMahieu went two for four. Those two guys continue to be the biggest mysteries of this team. And here's another question I have. What the hell is Josh Donaldson doing as the designated hitter? The only thing Donaldson can do right now is field. The only thing. If, if there was such a thing as a designated fielder, that would be an ideal situation for Josh Donaldson because he can't hit. But he can field. So why is he the designated hitter last night? I understand that you got five infielders for four spots. Torres, Volpe, Rizzo, Donaldson, LeMahieu. And you don't want to DH LeMahieu all the time. But why is Donaldson DH? If Donaldson's not going to, if you're going to play LeMahieu at third, put Donaldson on the bench. Put somebody else in there. Put Billy McKinney in there. Put Frenchie Cordero in there. I know it was a lefty against the righty hitters, but still. What are we doing? He's batting 147. He has 15 hits. It's July 15th, and he's got 15 hits. <laughs> and you bat him as the designated hitter. But if the Yankees are going to turn this thing around, it has to be Torres. It has to be Stanton. It has to be Rizzo. It has to be LeMahieu. And those four guys last night combined to go 8 for 16. Because the other guys, you can't count on them. IKF, McKinney, you can't count on Volpe right now. Volpe is still a project. I want him in there every day. I want to see continued improvement. And I want him to work to the point where he becomes one of those guys you can count on. But you can't count on him right now. You know, he runs into a fastball every once in a while and puts it over the fence. He's got 13 home runs. He has power. But he's still very, very much a work in progress. You can't count on him. You can't count on the catcher, Sagashioka or Trevino. You obviously can't count on Josh Donaldson and Bader. Bader's another one. Bader's fine. You know, Ideally, he's not your cleanup hitter like he was last night. But Bader puts the bat on the ball. He gets on base. I mean, compared to his teammates, he gets on base. And he plays superior defense in center field. Bader's never been a guy who you're going to rely on for a lot of offensive production. That's not why the Yankees went out and traded for him. Bader has actually been, for what the Yankees' expectations were of him, he's been fine. 250 to 260 hitter, superior defense, excellent base runner. That's what he is. But it's Torres, Stanton, Rizzo, and LeMayu. And they went 8 for 16 last night. So that's a really good sign. Now we'll get some reaction from this and more of yours as well. one 800 919 3776. Pat O'Keefe with you on this beautiful Saturday morning on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, talking a lot of Yankees. We'll get the Mets uh, as well. We've touched on them also if you want to share your frustrations on them. But it seems to be a lot of Yankee calls right now. So let's go to Jose in Brooklyn. Jose, how you doing? Hey, good morning, Mr. O'Keefe. Uh, shout out to the company. I definitely wanted to chime in on the Yankee talk because, 
Yesterday was was very frustrating, you know, to watch, you know, to see the game get off to a good start, like you mentioned, and then to see them epically fall off and not hit and just look horrible is something that we have seen far too often with this team. I understand that we're over 500 and still have a chance for the playoffs and all of that is well and good, but this is a team that just does, it doesn't make the feels like they're going to make a run because I was really optimistic, especially after the perfect game and looking at the schedule and I'm looking at this July and I'm saying, Hey, we can possibly build some ground and the way they've played, they have totally sapped that my momentum out. And to give you a little story. Yeah. I, I do remember, you know, vaguely remember that 1992 season. I'm more of, I would, I started playing baseball in 1993 so you know that second to last game of the season where Bernie Williams stole second and third I'm not sure if you remember that Mr. O'Keefe um that always stuck out to me because then I became a Bernie Williams fan and then 94 happened where we got where we got shafted from a chance and you know 95 and 96 et cetera et cetera so as Marv Marv can relate me to that you know the the 94 crown (laughs) Marvin was right, and uh, I do remember that, Jose, and that was kind of right around the time, and thanks for the call, that we realized that uh, the Yankees had something there in Bernie Williams because, you know, he came up, and I you know, I remember when Bernie Williams, and then there was Gerald Williams, who was a very good friend of Derek Jeter's and unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago, and there was question which, you know, they had these two young outfield prospects, both last name Williams, no relation, and there, there was actually some thought that Gerald Williams might actually be the better prospect than Bernie Williams. That obviously uh, didn't turn out that way. Gerald Williams had a nice major league career, and he had some good moments. The one that sticks out to Yankee fans probably in the Dwight Gooden no-hitter in 1996. You know, there's always one or two defensive plays that you remember from a no-hitter or a perfect game. And Gerald Williams made this leaping catch in center field. It was early in the game, so you didn't realize the significance of it at the time. But ultimately, that probably goes down as the best defensive play in Dwight Gooden's no-hitter in 1996. But yeah, Marvin, who called earlier, illustrated it well because there is a generation, and you know, Joe and Harvey, this includes you guys, and it's no fault of your own when you were born, but there is a generation of Yankee fans that, don't know any down periods. I mean, this is considered a down period, not having won the World Series since 2009. But there have been, in the lifetime of uh, somebody like uh, Marvin's age, who I would assume is in his 60s or 70s, there have been two significant down periods in Yankee history. And one of them was the tail end of Mickey Mantle's career until the Yankees went back to the World Series in 1976. So basically 66 to 76, that was a 10-year stretch of some really bad Yankee baseball teams. And then the other one that I mentioned earlier that I lived through was from 82 through 92, and it essentially ended with Buck Showalter taking over as the Yankees' manager. Now, the first half of that 82 to 92 stretch wasn't futility. The Yankees... You know, if they actually had a wild card in those days, the Yankees probably would have gotten into the playoffs a couple of times. But they stopped winning, and then they completely cratered around 1989, 1990, 91, where they were literally the worst team in Major League Baseball. You know, as George Steinbrenner liked to point out at the time, 
The Yankees did lead Major League Baseball in wins, in regular season wins during the decade of the 1980s, but they, outside of losing the 1981 World Series to the Dodgers in a strike-shortened season, Yankees didn't win any World Series, and they didn't go to the playoffs in the entire decade. Uh, actually, I guess they went in 1980, and they lost the World Series in 1981, and that was it for the entire decade. So there have been two stretches of uh, futility that a lot of Yankee fans who are still alive, and, and to be honest with you, before that, there were no stretches of futility going back to, bef you know, since before Babe Ruth became a Yankee. So it's all relative, um, but it, it, it's disappointing now. And, and Jose brought up a good point. You really thought, you, you, you look for, for signs of momentum. And, and let's look at the perfect game that Herman pitched on June 28th. It was an 11 to nothing win. And it was against a bad Oakland A's team. And that put the Yankees at 44 and 36. And the next day they came out and they put 10 runs on the board against that same bad Oakland A's team. Since the perfect game, though, up through last night, the Yankees have gone five and seven. They've gone five and seven over their last 12 games. And they haven't played good teams. You have a game against the A's in there. You have three games against the Cardinals, who are last in last place. Four games against the Orioles, and that was a frustrating series because the Yankees won the first two games and then fell apart in the last two games. And then you had three games against the Cubs, who are not a good team. And then last night against the Colorado Rockies, who are a terrible team. So five and seven since the perfect game against an easy schedule. And these games, you don't get back. You know, each one of these games that you play, you can cross it off the schedule and you don't get it back. You only get one bite at the apple to play the Colorado Rockies or to play, I guess you get two series against the Angels. You get, you know, two series against the Royals. But against the National League teams, you only get one chance against the likes of the Cardinals, who are bad, and the likes of the Rockies, who are bad. And then down the stretch of the season, it's a lot of series against the Mets, the Orioles, the Rays, the Astros, the Marlins, the Braves, the Red Sox, the Rays again, the Astros again, the Brewers, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, the Diamondbacks, the Blue Jays. A lot of good teams ahead on the schedule for the Yankees. Not a lot of cupcakes. And they're, they're, they're missing their opportunity to beat up on the cupcakes right now. And that's a problem because, yes, again, it is a long season. But not anymore. There are 70 games left. And there's more and more ground to make up. And, and with each passing performance, like last night, you have less and less confidence that this is a team that can flip the switch. You know, what positive signs are you getting out of last night? Like I said, the positive sign is Torres, LeMahieu, Rizzo, and Stanton went 8 for 16. That's an extremely positive sign. If all four of those guys, and I've said this for a couple of weeks also, if all four of those guys can start clicking... And just doing what is expected of them. Because what's expected of them is has been pretty special throughout their careers. You know, Stanton's an MVP. LeMahieu is a multiple-time All-Star. Rizzo is an All-Star. Torres is an All-Star. Just play at that level. You know, none of them... Well, LeMahieu's on, on the, the backside of his career for sure. So maybe all-star level is not realistic for DJ LeMahieu, but he shouldn't be hitting 225. You know, that's the biggest mystery on the Yankees. And, and the second biggest mystery has to be Anthony Rizzo. 
And Rizzo hasn't hit a home run since May 20th. And he hasn't been the same since Memorial Day weekend when he collided with Juan Soto. Or, oh, excuse me, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. I don't know. I don't know. He has to have been. Something happened there because he hasn't been the same guy. Rizzo, who his last couple of years in Chicago wasn't great. All right. Maybe this is just who Anthony Rizzo is. But he gave you so much hope the first nearly two months of this season because he was hitting the ball really well. And he plays really well in Yankee Stadium because he's a left-handed bat. And Brian Cashman has thumbed his nose at stacking his lineup with left-handed hitters. So it's kind of a, a breath of fresh air to see Anthony Rizzo there because I do think that's important for the Yankees to have. But something's not adding up with him. I know more people want to hop in on this, so we'll uh, continue with your calls and more at uh, 1-800-919-3776 here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Mets are back at City Field. You can actually watch that one on television if that interests you. 7-15, it's the Fox game tonight, and it's Kodai Senga against Tony Gonsolin. So another tough pitching matchup for the Mets lineup to face after they were one hit last night. Yankees are going to go with Clark Schmidt against Connor Siebold. Again, Siebold is 1-6 and six with a 6.65 ERA. Schmidt, after a rough first month, month and a half, has been good. He's been more than adequate at the back end of the Yankees rotation since about the middle of May. So uh, Yankees and Rockies are at 8-10 tonight. Heard a little John Flaherty doing play-by-play, which was nice to hear on the Yes Network last night. West Nyack's own flash. All right, let's go back to the phones. Rob in the car. What's up, Rob? Hey, Pat. I'm actually here with my father, also named Pat O'Keefe. Great name. Wow, and, that know, is a We're great big name. Yankee fans. Yeah, lovely, right? <laughs> um, we're big Yankee fans. Obviously, this season has been a bit of a disappointment. And with the trade deadline looming, I'm curious if, you know, Anthony Volpe is even on the table or is, should he even be offered for a guy like Otani or Soto? Just wanted to hear your thoughts on that and if he's even tradable at this time. Well, Rob, thanks for the call. Give your father my best. Um, for a guy like Otani, like something has to change for this Yankees team. And so to answer Rob's question first before I go on one of my tangents, um, I would say yes. I would trade Anthony Volpe for somebody of that level. But it would have to be somebody of that level. Otani or Soto, I don't know who else might even be available who's on that level. So maybe those are the only two names and those are the only two that he mentioned. But yeah, I do think that it's time for the Yankees to... uh, How many years has it been since the Yankees have pumped up these prospects in the minor leagues only to see them come up and be disappointments. Now, I'm not saying that's what Volpe's going to be. And I've been happy with Volpe's progress so far. And I do think he could be a solid, hopefully above average major league player. But that, that, that's still, the jury is still out on that. You know, I mean, obviously you know what Otani is and you know what Juan Soto is. And Otani's ridiculous just in terms of what he can do. Soto, in many ways, might even be the safer bet because he's younger. Obviously, he doesn't pitch, but he's he's younger. And he gets on base, first and foremost, and that's what the Yankees need. But the biggest reason why I would say yes to trading Volpe for one of those guys, and he'd be the centerpiece of that trade, is you actually have backup in Oswald Peraza. Now, would Peraza, is he projected to be as good as Volpe? Not in the Yankees' eyes. We know that because Volpe jumped over him 
and won the starting shortstop job in spring training this year. But Peraza has played well at AAA this year. I mean, Peraza started two games in the ALCS last year. He's very good with the glove. And if there is a drop-off from Volpe to Peraza, it's not significant. So you have to ask yourself, are you better with Volpe and neither Otani nor Soto? Or are you better with one of those two big stars and then downgrade a little at shortstop? Again, if it's a downgrade at all from Volpe to Peraza. So the fact that they have another guy who's basically the same age at the same development level who can basically do the same things as Volpe, yeah, I do think that they have to explore doing that. Because, again, the Yankees don't have a long history of bringing up prospects from the minor leagues and having them go on to long and fruitful careers. It's been a long time since they've done that. And if you're going if you're going to sign or bring in somebody like an Otani or a Soto, you've got to give something up. They're not just giving it away. And the Yankees don't have a lot else that an Angels or a Padres would want. So it's an interesting question, and my answer is yes. I think it's about time. But the one thing I know is something needs to change with both the Yankees and the Mets.